So, quick review before we dive in. Um, the title of the message today is, This is a Test. Only a test. This is a test. Ever been tested? Uh, I thought about naming this, series, or this sermon um, A Perfect Ten, but I thought that might be a little overconfident, uh, calling the sermon today A Perfect Ten. But you'll see why in a minute. John 10.10 10 is our verse today. John chapter 10 and verse 10. It's called the dividing line of the Bible. And this is what it says. That the thief... Did you know that you have an enemy, right? Satan. Who's the thief? I just told you. Satan. Giving you the answers for the, of the test before we take the test. Satan. Slewfoot. El Diablo. Whatever you want to call him, right? The thief does not come except... To steal and to kill and to destroy. So the only reason the devil ever shows up in your life is for one of those three or all those reasons. To steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. Period. He doesn't come for any other reason. Even if he tells you he's there for some other reason. I'm here to help you. I want to cut a deal. Or let's make a bargain. No. You don't make deals with the devil because he never keeps his word, first of all. And then also, he is a liar, the father of it. And he's only there to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I'm going to read this, the rest of the verse to you out of the Passion Translation. And it says, Jesus said, I have come that, to give you everything in abundance. More than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. So Jesus said, once again, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Anybody there yet? Anybody overflowing? Anybody got room for a little more? (laughs) All right, all right, good, good. We're going to get you to that overflowing place. You do your part, God will do his part. So in millennia past, in the book of beginnings, or a.k.a. Genesis, uh, I believe it's the, everything in Scripture is in seed form found in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we see where God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. It says image and likeness. I wish we had time to study that out, but maybe you could have a, a devotion on your own and look into those two words. But this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us, that's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. So we are also a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, same, you are in the same class of being as God. Pretty cool, isn't it? And he says, let them have dominion, not take dominion, but let's let them have it. Let them have dominion. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then, what's the first thing God did after he created them? Then he blessed them. Everybody say blessed. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, these are not diminishing words. These are augmenting words. Not not let them scrimp, scrape, and barely survive. He said, let them be fruitful and multiply. And let them again have dominion. Let them fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that creeps on the earth. You have dominion over creeps. It's good news, isn't it? So this is the original intent of God. Created us. He blessed us. Let us have dominion. Over all these things, so that we could subdue the earth, so we could be fruitful 
and multiply. Not fruity, but fruitful. Slight difference there, but anyway. So we were built for blessing. God built us so that we could handle the blessing that he put on us. I don't know what that looked like, but when God created man in his own image, the first thing he did was he blessed him. I don't know if he just said, you know, Adam, boy, Adam. Or if he patted him on the back, or if he got his holy camera out and said, smile. And you know, put, I, don't, I don't know what it looked like, but the word blessed means this. It means empowered to excel and prosper and to be happy. It, all, it means all that. So blessed means empowered to excel and prosper and be happy. So as soon as God, God hardwired you for favor, he hardwired you for happiness. You're not meant to be depressed. He hardwired you for acceleration to, to, to move forward and to progress, I guess is the best word. And so we were fashioned to be blessed. In fact, Ephesians says this in the New Testament. It says that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that good news or what? So you're thinking, man, it sounds like good news, but how come I'm not enjoying those blessings if I've already been blessed? Show me the money, or why am I sick, or why is my relationship strained? If I've been blessed with all these blessings, they're not doing me any good in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in the spirit realm. Here's what I want you to know, is that your physical health is a result of your spiritual life. Your financial health is a result of your spiritual life. All these things, your physical life is a manifestation of your spiritual life. You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. I said, well, what's the disconnect? Well, we talked in the beginning of this series about the first step to living a blessed life, getting your life in order, or being blessable, is being a good steward, and it's also honoring God with your first. Now, this is a quick review. We said that this is, this is representing God's scale back here, right? Not man's scale, but God's scale. And God's scale works differently than man's scale. you agree with that? So here's what happened. What happened was God said, man is down. Man is messed up. They're down, that man is down low in the darkness, needs to be lifted up, needs to be redeemed. So what, what did God do? He took his, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God took his first, his firstborn, he took his best. We believe Jesus is the best. <laughs> and he's heaven's best. He's the jewel of heaven. So God took his first. There's ten bags here. And he took the first and he gave the first for you and for me. And when God, you would think that nine weigh more than one. And in, in the natural, they do. But this is God's scale. It's how God's scale works. When you give and honor God with the first, it, it redeems the rest and lifts us up. So because God gave his first, it redeemed the rest of us and lifted us up out of darkness and into light. Now, the reason that we honor God with 10% of our money, can everybody say money in church? Somebody say, show me the money. 
All right, the reason we honor God with 10% of our money, that's our increase, our income, so raises and bonuses, estates and inheritances, finding money, the first, first thing you do is you honor God with 10%. The Hebrew word is tithe, T-I-T-H-E, not like tithes, like an offering, because one guy hit me up one time, he's like, Pastor Kevin, you always talk about receiving the tithes and offerings, and you don't even hardly ever wear ties, except on Easter. I'm like, I probably need to teach on this. So it's a Hebrew word that means a tenth. Now, here's why we honor God or worship God with our tithe. How many of you, you know, about once a month, we receive communion around here, the, the, the wine and the bread? How many enjoy doing that? Why do we do that? I told you this was a test today. Why do we do that? To remember Jesus, what he did for us. What else? What does it represent? Do we take him into us? It represents his body. It represents the body of Christ. I heard somebody say the church. That's right. It represents what else? The, the bread represents what? What's that? The flesh. Healing. I heard somebody say it over here. So he was broken that we might be made whole. Right? So his brokenness means our wholeness. And like somebody said, we take that into our body. So do you believe that when you actually... Somebody, this is not the right answer in first service. Why do we receive communion? Because we're hungry. No, that's not wise. <laughs> you failed the test. No, it's not Christ checks you know, for breakfast. That's not why we, why we do it. Um, but do you believe that when we actually receive communion, that it's not just a symbol but that something dynamic can actually happen if his broken body means our healed body. Do you believe that when you partake of the bread that healing could be released in your body? So it's not just a symbol, it's powerful. All right, let's go to the cup. Why do we receive the cup? What does it represent? The blood of Jesus. Is anybody thankful for the sinless, spotless blood of Jesus? We know what it represents, right? It washes us white as snow. It's a metaphor. It means it takes our guilty stains and removes them and atones for our sin, right? It's what tips the scale in our favor, doesn't it? So we could go on and on about the blood. So then when we drink that cup, we believe that it's not just a symbol. We, we drink it as a symbol for what it represents, but we also know that it has some power to it, right? You can get right with God in the communion service, tasting to see that the Lord is good, right? Now, uh, how about water baptism? Why are we water baptized? How many of you been water baptized? Let me see your hand. All right. If not, we're having a water baptism service after the second service today. You can join in. But why, do, why are we water baptized? Represents washing our sins away. Yes. What else? All things made new. Exactly. What else? Yeah, it's a public announcement that you are made, had to make a commitment to Christ. What, what did you say? Death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, I thought that's what you said. So, so it represents that we, listen very carefully, it represents that we not only were buried, that Christ died for us, but that Christ died as us. And it only represents that Christ was raised for us, but he was raised as us. So when he was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. That means the... When he died for our sin, we died because it means our penalty has been paid. So when we come up out of that water, it's not just a powerful, beautiful symbol, and it is that, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, but it's, it's not just symbolic, it's dynamic. 
I believe when you come up out of the water, there's some, something waiting on you, man, and you're never the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I know when I was baptized, I was different. Can I, I mean, liken it like this. I dated a lot of girls, but when I married one and, the, and this ring got on my finger, I was different. How <laughs> I many of this ring is not just a symbol, and it is, and it's a beautiful one, but it's powerful, right? Now, the reason that we worship God with our money, 10%, that's the starting point, by the way. That's the floor. And anything else is just a tip, but a tip doesn't tip the scale. But a tithe does. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was God's tithe, his first that redeemed the rest. So when we pass the plate on Sunday, it's not just because we need a new roof and more staff at the church. That's not why we pass the plate. We want want to keep the AC on. That's not why we pass the plate. That's part of why we pass the plate. But the the symbol of why, the, the powerful reason of why we pass the plate is the same reason we receive communion, the same reason water baptism, the same ring we put symbols on our fingers is because of what it represents. It represents that God so loved the world. And so we are giving back to honoring God with our first because he gave us his first. And the reason we give God our first is the same reason he gave his first is so that those who don't know him can know him and be saved. Now, does that change the vibe in the room when the basket's going by? It's not just, ah, preacher, talking about money again. No, it's there are people in our city and that, you, that your neighbors, that you go to work with, to go to school with, that are on a, as we used to say in the old days, are on a grease pole to hell. <laughs> they are going to live eternity without Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity to reach some of those people with the gospel. And one way we do that, or how we pay for doing that, is when we pass the plate. Does that make sense? So just think, the most anointed time of the service, one of the most anointed times of the service ought to be that when we pass the plate, because we were remembering that God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. And because he gave Jesus, I'm giving a symbol of what he gave. But it's not just a symbol, it's also powerful. There's power in it. And that's how you engage or get your blessed, blessed assurance in gear to, so you can accelerate and prosper. God gave us first, it tips the scale. When you give your first, it tips the scale. Now, the number 10 in Scripture is a very meaningful number. Numbers mean something. One is the number of beginnings. Two is the number of unity. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? uh, Two is the number of agreement, rather. Three is the number of unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Spirit, soul, body. So numbers are very, very, very powerful in Scripture. Four is the number of new beginnings. Five is the number of grace. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion and perfection. Eight is the number of eternity. Nine is the number of chaos. Ten is the number of order, divine order. You will never get your life in order until you are a tither. The number ten is also the number of testing. Remember I said this is a test? I'm going to show you some examples in Scripture of when the number 10 was used as a test. So I'm going to give you a little pop quiz here, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you the answer. The answer is 10. (laughs) Okay, so I want you to feed back to me. When I ask you the question, 
Even if you might make, I don't know the answer. Ten. All right. All right. All right. This first one's easy. How many plagues were in Egypt when God tested Pharaoh's heart? Ten. Good. How many commandments did Moses bring down the mountain on the tablets? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Yeah. How many times did Jacob's father-in-law Laban change his wages? Yeah. How many virgins were tested in Matthew chapter 25? Five foolish, five wise yeah. equals 10. How many days of testing are mentioned in the book of Revelation? Yeah. 10. How many days was Daniel tested with a different diet than all the other Wise guy, wise men. Ten. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Okay, it was a test. You did good. Good job. Give yourself a hand. Good job. <laughs> I was just testing you. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first. I mean, what's first is important. In the kingdom of God, God's all about what's first. What you put first, what you give first, what you do first. Seek ye First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you if you just do the right thing first. Everything else falls in place in the kingdom. Now, when we said a couple of weeks ago, whatever, whenever you, when you want God to come into a place or a situation, then give him the first of that thing, place, or situation. For example, if you want God to come into your marriage, and trust me, you need him to, Amen. then put him first in your marriage. Because when God comes in, he brings some stuff with him. You know that verse, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the day. Goodness and mercy follow him. So when he comes into a situation, he brings peace, he brings prosperity, he brings protection, he brings um, but I'm missing a P somewhere, but anyway. I'll, but if you, want, if you put God first in your marriage, he'll prosper your marriage. He'll bring peace in your marriage. He'll protect your marriage. If you, want God, if you want God to bring his peace, prosperity, and protection into your finances, put him first in your finances. Well, I can't afford to do that. I'm already struggling. Well, I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, this ain't Shark Tank where they say, I'll give you the money, but I need 59% of your company. God just says, I just want 10%. Now, having God as your partner is a pretty good deal at any price, but 10%, that's a, that's a bargain. Now, when you put him first in your time, he protects your time, prospers your time, accelerates your time, multiplies your time. Put him first in your talent Put him first, that means whatever your skills are, use them for his glory first. Time, talent, and treasure. Put him first, and then he comes into those areas. Now, whatever you want to redeem, give God the first of it. God became a man, and he gave himself, and it redeemed the rest of mankind. Now, in today's time, we're so time conscious, aren't we? I mean, we think, well, how long is it going to take? One of the main questions that people have when I invite them to church is they say, well, when's it start? Well, 9 and 11. And then they say, well, when's it over? <laughs> That's a fair question. Now, 10, 12 years ago, I would have said, I don't know. <laughs> but now we know what time it ends, right? We have a start time and a stop time. So 
people are time conscious. We are so time conscious, but how often do we think about how much time we have left? I mean, this is going to be a little sobering, but I have an announcement to make. And I thought it would be best if you heard it from your pastor. You're all terminal. If Jesus doesn't come, you're going to die. Now, hopefully he comes and some of us miss death, and, you know, that would be great. Uh, and I'm, I'm believing for that. But if that doesn't happen, you're terminal. I always thought it was weird that that's where you got on a plane. I thought, at the terminal? Anyway. But there's this website. In, in studying for this message, there's this website I found. It's called uh, deathclock.com. You ever heard of it? Where you can enter a little information about yourself, and they'll project about when you'll die. And I was kind of weird. So I did it. And I'm going to make it to about 90, evidently. It's good. Making good choices. Actually, I'm, I'm planning on triple digits, but I'm glad that deathclock.com thought I was going to make it to 88 or 90 or something like that. But anything that you have much of, you tend to squander, don't you? I mean, think about people who win the lottery. Or, and I was thinking, how can I really make this illustration hit home? Because we think, oh, i got all the time in the world. But we really don't, even if you live to be 100. And I hope you do. But anything that you think you have a lot of, we tend to not be good stewards of. We tend to squander. So I was thinking, Lord, I really need an illustration to make this hit home with people. And then it just occurred to me, toilet paper. When you got a couple of rolls, you're like, yeah, all right, making pillows out of that stuff, right? Which must be what my wife does, because we go through that stuff, like, anyway, like Grant went through Richmond. But anyway, so, but, you know, have you ever, like, oh, oh you just came back from a third world country mission trip, you something hits you, and you go, I got to go to the bathroom, you get around, and you go, oh, thank God I made it. And then you look, and you're like, oh, two squares. How many know you treat it differently than when you got two rolls? Can I get an amen? Come on, don't look so holy sitting out there. You know what I'm talking about. When you don't have as much of it, you, you try to, if you, if you know you don't have a lot of time, you try to be more efficient and more intentional and strategic. But when you got two squares, baby, you just... Let me read some scriptures to you now. I'm going to read, let's see... One, two, three, four, five, about six or seven scriptures to you. So hold on, all right? We're at church, so we're going to read the Bible. Psalm 90, verse 12, in the Passion Translation, it says this. Help us remember that our days are numbered. <laughs> and help us to interpret our lives correctly. Set your wisdom deeply in our hearts so that we may accept your correction. I mean, if you've only got so much time and you're heading the wrong direction, you want a little correction, right? Go, oh, oh, not that way, this way. You want to make sure that you arrive where you're supposed to arrive. Because, well, Job chapter 7 and verse 6 says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Days are just flying by. Job 9.25 says, My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5 says, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I really am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is just a vapor. 
That's sobering, isn't it? Listen to this in the New Living Translation of James chapter 4 and verse 13 and 14. Pastor James, I like Pastor James. He says, look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to go in a certain, to a certain town and stay there a year and we'll do business there and we'll make some money. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? He says your life is like the morning fog. We can relate to that here in Mobile. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed for a man to die once or wants to die. Then, after that, comes the judgment. Let me just break that one down for you a little bit, all right? You're going to die, and you're going to die once, unless you had some miracle in your life. You died and you were raised from the dead or something. And then, you know, like Lazarus, he died twice. But anyway, there's a few exceptions. Um, but there's a, it's appointed, meaning there's a time appointed for you to die, and then after that appointed time, you're not coming back. You're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. Every single one of them. You're not coming back as a cow. You're not going to another universe. You're going to stand before Almighty God, and he's going to say, did you do what I called and created you to do? And whether you did that or not, you're going to have to give an accounting for that. I had a dream uh, years ago. Uh, I won't tell you all the details, but in this dream, I stood before the judgment seat of Christ along with millions of other Christ followers, and an angel cried out and said, Missionary evangelist Kevin Cooley, step forward and give an account for your life. And in that vision, I thought, huh, there's somebody else up here named Kevin Cooley, and they were a missionary. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) And then I got yanked up before Jesus, and he says, no, you are missionary Kevin Cooley. And I, I mean, it was a very, I woke up and with a cold sweat all over. It was a very real spirit. I still remember it to this day like it happened last night. But my point being is that, oh, and by the way, I, and the reason I didn't want to obey God and be a missionary is because I was concerned about, that's not what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be comfortable. I learned in that vision that Jesus isn't near concerned about my comfort as he is about the eternal salvation of others. And he told me in no uncertain terms, he goes, I gave you the comforter, so that way you can do whatever I tell you to do and be with the comforter, whether it's comfortable or not. I'm going, I'm getting on an airplane tomorrow, and I'll be on an airplane for 24 hours. That's not comfortable. Thank God I was upgraded to business class. Can I get an amen, somebody? Woo, thank you, Jesus. Because you get there a lot more rested, but you can lay down a little bit or, you know, and eat some better food. Like one time uh, my mom was taking my son Gavin on a trip and he was what, three years old or something like that? And we used to travel a lot. So he was like gold medallion with you know, all these airlines, even though he was three. And so uh, the, they came out uh, when mom checked into the, to the plane, they said, oh, Mr. Cooley's been upgraded to first class. And she said, uh, well, Mr. Cooley's three. So if he gets upgraded, I get upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> they go, oh, we only have one seat. Well, he can't sit by himself in first class, so he had to go sit back in economy with his Nana. And as they were walking through first class, he's three years old, he goes, hey, Nana, let's sit up here in these big seats. They give you steak. <laughs> she goes, I'm sorry, Gavin, you can't sit up here this time. we got to sit in the back. But anyway, so you're appointed to die once, and then we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life. Everything you gave, every word you said, everything you did. I mean, 
That'll put the fear of God in you. It should. It puts the fear of God in me. Listen to Psalm 90 again in verse 12. It says, teach us, God, to number our days. Not just that our days are numbered, but that our, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, we know we have a certain count of days, so help us make our days count. So if you don't give attention to spiritual things first, you won't have the energy to fulfill your physical goals. Let me say that again. If you don't give attention to spiritual things first, you won't have the energy to pursue your physical goals. It's the spiritual part of you and me that's going to last forever. You know the old saying, there's no uh, hearses with a U-Haul behind them. Right? Can't take it with you. So it's the spiritual part of you that lasts forever. You're not a physical being coming to church every Sunday and having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being going through life having a temporary experience. Because this life is temporary. Aren't you glad you came to church? What does the preacher tell you? I'm going to die. <laughs> but I want you to make your life count. So, what do we do first if we're going to make our life count? Well, we should do spiritual things first, not physical things first. Because we're not physical beings, we're spiritual beings that live in a physical body. So let's do spiritual things first if we're going to make this life count. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Proverbs 3.27, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do it. I'm going to tell you a story, then we're going to close. And we're going to close with an altar call for salvation, and then we're going to worship God with our giving. Because it is worship. It's dynamic. The power of God can be ignited in your finances if you'll obey the Spirit of God when the plate goes by. So, or, or any other thing that the Holy Spirit asks you to do. There's a friend of mine named Christopher Alam. He was born... In Pakistan, a Muslim. His mother's Bengali Indian, and his father's uh, in the Pakistani army as a colonel. And when Christopher was a young man, he somebody shared the gospel with him, and he was born again. And he began to preach the gospel. So they threw him in jail in Pakistan for preaching the gospel. And his own father intended to have him assassinated. So he might have had daddy issues earlier in his life. It's a true story. And he's been here at this church before and he's preached. So when he came out of prison for preaching the gospel, he began to attend a Baptist church pastored by American missionaries Charles Coleman and, and uh, Mrs. Coleman. And Pastor Coleman went home to be with the Lord last year. He was about 95 years old. How cool is that? So the story I'm about to share with you is a true story. Pastor Coleman and his wife Edna had no children of their own, so they adopted eight local children that had been abandoned by their parents. And the oldest of these is a friend of Christopher Alam's named Kevin Coleman, who now lives in Springfield, Missouri, attends the Assembly of God Church there. And in the early 70s, the Colemans were not receiving any support from the United States and so things had become very hard for them. No food in the house. They couldn't feed. They had adopted eight local children that had been abandoned by their parents. And they also had a church staff to feed. And they didn't have any food or resources to, to feed them because they had been cut off from their support from the United States. So one Sunday morning, 
a man dressed in the uniform of a U.S. Air Force colonel walked into the service of this Baptist church with his wife. And Pastor Coleman had never seen them before. And, but the wife of the colonel, she just began to cry softly throughout the whole service, through the music, through the message, through everything. And after the service, they came and they shook the pastor's hands. And the, the colonel said that he had been posted there in Pakistan in the U.S. Embassy. And the wife of the colonel was a, little year, a few years older than uh, the pastor, Pastor Coleman. And uh, she began to ask him questions like this. Pastor, are you from such and such town in Kansas? And gave the name of a little town in Kansas. And he said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And she said, um, uh, is your mother's name so-and-so? And mentioned the name of Pastor Coleman's late mother. And he goes, Yes, that, that is my mother's name. The colonel's wife just began to weep, and she threw her arms around Pastor Coleman and just began to sob, and she just held him and cried. You know, you think the pastor, he's kind of like, okay, what's going on right now? You know, it's a little awkward. And then finally, when she gained her composure, she told him this. She says, you're not going to remember this because you were a little boy. But when you were a little boy, we were your next-door neighbors. My mother died, and my father abandoned me and my four siblings. There's five of us. He went to another city to get a job and work, and my, me and my four siblings were abandoned alone in our home, and we were your next-door neighbors. And your mama took us under her wing. And this was during the time of the Great Depression, so there, were, there was famine in the land, but she would Scourge through and scrounge through trash cans and find potato peels so she can make soup for all the kids. And she did whatever she could for years and years to feed those five kids along with her own children. And it was a great sacrifice, but, but she, she took on five more mouths to feed during the Great Depression while those children had been abandoned by their parents or the one mom had died. And so she, that, that, that colonel's wife was crying as he told the pastor, your mom saved our lives. If it had not been for your mom and your family, your parents, I would not be here today. I'd be dead. I would have starved to death. So the next day, which was a Monday, a large truck from the U.S. Embassy pulled up in front of the church. And it was full of rice, flour, pasta, potatoes, vegetable, meat, cheeses, uh, butter, all sorts of things. More than enough for him and his eight adopted children and all of his church staff. And that truck came every week for years until his support was reinstituted or reconnected from the United States. Now... The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, it says, cast your bread on the water. Why? Because you'll find it again after many days. So never stop sowing seed, even in times of hardship, because God is faithful. You might not reap a harvest tomorrow or next week or even next year. It might be the next generation that reaps a harvest off of the seed that you sow. 
It might be your children. That woman didn't know that one day her missionary son was going to be basically starving. And because of the seed she sowed, it fed him and his wife and his kids and his staff. Think about it. You don't know the impact of the seed that you sow today that it's going to have on your own family tomorrow. My grandmother was a godly woman, and she had 11 kids. And they weren't all godly kids, and, but, but uh, one by one they're coming to Christ now. But uh, when I was five years old, my parents started taking me to church. And I had, I had six uncles and, and my dad. And they were wild. And, but my grandmother kept sowing the seed of prayer and love and kindness. And I'm not saying my dad was a perfect man, but he at least had enough sense to start going to church. And when I was five years old, my parents took me to church, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And my grandmother, because of the seed she sowed, you're reaping a harvest today. I don't come from a long line of preachers. I come from a long line of crazy uncles. <laughs> but because one woman, and she, she sowed a seed. And before she died, she, she, she found out I was going into the ministry. She was just so happy, so proud. God finally gave her a preacher. But you're reaping the benefits of it today, not her. But I believe in her heavenly account. It all goes to her credit. Because you don't know the power of the seed that you're sowing. Never give up because the reward of your faithfulness is coming. It might not come in your lifetime, but your children and your grandchildren will reap the fruit of what you have sown. Just when they need it the most, God will come through because of something that you've done, because something you gave. Amazing. Proverbs 3.27, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do it. I don't want to be selfish and put my own comfort over the, my, you know, the, my enjoyment of luxury over the needs of others. There's nothing wrong with living an abundant life, but our higher calling is to extend the kingdom of Christ. And I may not see the fruit of it in my lifetime, but I'm going to sow the seed anyway. Because God is faithful. And I might not reap the faithfulness, but my children will, my grandchildren will, even my great-grandchildren. And, you know, one, at least one of my sons has uh, acknowledged the call of God on his life to go into the ministry. So my grandmother, one of her, her great-grandson, she now has a, a great-grandson. And one day... One of my great-grandsons will be able to say, I come from a long line of preachers, not a long line of crazy uncles. <laughs> Why? Because somebody sowed a seed in faith, trusting that God would be faithful. And he has been, and he will be for you too. So when we pass the plate in a minute, remember, it's not just because the church needs to fix the roof and hire more staff. It's because God so loved the world. And when you give the first, it redeems the rest. Let's make it hard to go to hell for Mobile, Alabama. That's why we give. First and foremost, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. Whether you're here in the room or in the family venue or watching us online, I'm going to, I'm going to pray the prayer of salvation. 
And if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to pray this prayer with us, okay? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? I'm not going to embarrass you, make you stand up or shine a light on you or anything like that. I'm just going to pray it right there in your seat. But if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I don't mean you prayed some prayer years ago, and maybe you did, but your life didn't change. And your life didn't change because your life didn't change. And you need to get saved. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. This is the day of salvation. You might not have tomorrow. Your days are numbered. You may not have tomorrow. What are you going to do with the opportunity God's given you right now? If you're here today and you need to know for sure, you don't know for sure that Jesus is the Lord of your life, let's make sure right now, and you take your next steps and you begin to cultivate a relationship with him. If you say, Pastor Kevin, please include me in that prayer. Would you raise your hand right now? Just let me see. who you. Nobody's looking around. It's just me. All right, gotcha. One, two, three, four, five. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. God bless you. If you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, if you're watching us online, 16. Got you, man. You just join us right now in this prayer. Harvest Church, let's pray with these 16 people that raised their hand. Let's all say it aloud together to help them, our new brothers and sisters, say, Dear God in heaven, I repent of my sin. I forsake it. And I declare Jesus is my Lord. He died for me. And he was raised for me. And from this moment forward, I am perfect in your eyes. May not be perfect in this life, but I am perfectly yours. Jesus, you're my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me power to live this new life. In Jesus' name. Amen. When one person gets saved, the Bible says they have a party in heaven. Can we just have a little bit of a party right now? Woo!